Well, weeks ago, uh, Mr. Dave asked me to share my testimony. Nick would always tell me, you'll be up there soon, so here I am. <laughs> and uh, I was born in a Christian family, and uh, I was raised going to church all my life. I am the oldest of three, uh, two brothers, four, three, I have four including me, <laughs> and uh, I am 15 right now, and most of you probably know my name, but I'm going to say anyways, it's Logan, and uh, I was saved when I was seven years old, um, which was like eight years ago. So I grew up going to Sunday school and Awana. And uh, my parents always asked me if I wanted to get saved or not. So I, I would kind of push it off here and there. And uh, eventually, when I was seven, they asked me, something clicked in my mind that if I didn't get saved, I would never see him again and be eternally separated from God and in hell. So uh, verse, a couple verses. In Romans, as pointed out, uh, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, this verse shows that we all need to be saved and that we're all just sinners. So uh, this, this showed me that I needed to get saved or I would, uh, I would never see my Savior in heaven. And then another verse, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, another verse showing that uh, sin will lead to death, and that if I didn't get saved, I, would, uh, I wouldn't live for eternity in heaven. Um, so when I was seven years old, I realized that I was a sinner and I needed to be saved. So my dad talked to me and he brought me beside, a, he brought me beside his uh, bed and he told me what to say to get saved and I got saved that night. Um, I, uh, at that moment, I felt really happy and uh, I had uh, one of our neighbors was in the backyard, so I wanted to go out and like tell her that I got saved because I, I was really excited that I was. And uh, a lot of people believe that their testimony isn't good enough if you like didn't like go through the like drugs or like you were not um, born or like super sinful life, but in reality. Your testimony doesn't start until, uh, until you're, after you're saved. And the work that you do for the Lord is when your testimony really is. So years went by, and uh, when I was 10, I got baptized. And then I started partaking in the breaking of bread. And uh, it wasn't until a couple years ago in Yosemite, 
my dad organized a uh, coffee coffee morning thing. <laughs> and uh, every morning they, they would wake up early and Rex, Rex Trogden would come and they would have their little uh, fellowship and talk about things of the Lord. And so every morning I would wake up with them and uh, I would uh, talk, uh, I would sit there and listen to them, what they talked, and I got really interested. And uh, from then on, I was more interested in doing more of the Lord's work and learning more about him and uh, doing more for him. So I went to brigades. Uh, I've helped at, up at camp, helped at a VBS a couple years. I've helped at Awana. And uh, I think I've grown in the Lord since then. And uh, a verse that I would like to end on is Ecclesiastes 12.1. And it says, Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days to come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. This is a key verse that I like to live my life by, because I was saved uh, as a young, at a young age, and I would like to uh, remember my creator and get to know him more. Um, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Um, thank you for listening to me, and uh, now we'll hear from Josh. Thank you, Logan, for uh, being brave and coming up here. I know it's not easy, and for me, it never, it still doesn't get easy, so I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but... Um, this evening, I would like to look at a portion in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I've titled this message, Be Children of Your Heavenly Father, and with the exclamation point. I felt that it was appropriate to speak about our Heavenly Father as today is, our, is Father's Day. And before I continue, uh, let's just uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for being a Father who was so gracious and merciful and loving that you would send your only begotten Son for us. We thank you that you showed us first what it is to be a father, the sacrifice that you made for us, and you desire the same of us. We just ask that as we look in your word, that you would grant wisdom and understanding. I lift up all the fathers at this assembly here at Claremont. I ask for a blessing on them, that they will continue to strive to be Fathers that are following the biblical model. 
in really training up their children to become like Christ. And Father, give them the strength and the courage to stand up for what's right, to show their children the truth of your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Matthew, maybe some of you don't know the book of Matthew or who Matthew was exactly, so I wanted to give a brief background on the book of Matthew, the gospel. Matthew was written by Matthew. He was a, a Jewish tax collector, and as tax collectors were in those days, he was hated because he cheated many people out of their money. And sometimes I feel the same way about the government when I look at my paycheck. Well, that's, that's another story. He's writing to the Jews to try and help the Jews understand who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. And up to the chapters leading up to chapter 5 in the Gospel of Matthew, there's the genealogy of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, Jesus selecting and calling his disciples, and Jesus starting his public ministry. And we get to this Matthew chapter 5, which many people know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, others may know it as uh, the Beatitudes, um, the Blessed, blessed Bees, uh, whatever you may know it to be, uh, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to touch on uh, the last few verses of Matthew chapter 5. And if you wanted to make a comparison, you could actually look at Luke chapter 6, and you see verses that are, are, are similar and correlate with Matthew chapter 5, but there is some difference. And in Luke chapter 6, it seems to give a little bit more of what Matthew chapter 5 has to say of Jesus' words. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, it says, You have heard that it was said... Actually, let me st start in verse 38 for context's sake. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was, it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43, if you look back at, at the context verses of verse 38 through 42, you can kind of see 
where Jesus was going, starting in verse 38, talking about what you should do when someone wrongs you. And up to the point where we read in verse 44 that you're supposed to love your enemies. One of the interesting things about verse 43 is if you read it, it's kind of weird. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, it's, I don't know about you, but if you first read that off the bat, it kind of sounds like, huh, that's interesting. I'm not sure what's going on there, but you have to keep reading on. But before, before we do that, the, there's, these verses come from two portions in Leviticus and Deuter Deuteronomy. And to get a better understanding, I think we have to go there. So if you would turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. And starting in verse 16. And we'll go to verse 18. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This, these few verses in Leviticus... It comes from, if you read the, the, starting, the start of chapter 19, it's talking about living as unto the Lord, holy. That's, that was his expectation for his people. And with that, he was explaining to them some of the things that he expected of them. Well, one of those things is love your neighbor. I don't know if you see anywhere hate your enemy. Do, do any of you see that? No, right? It's, there's, it's nowhere found in there. And you have to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23. And if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3 through 6, you still won't find anywhere that, that part that says hate your enemy. Verse 3 through 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says, No Ammonite or a Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord, because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt, because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pithor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all your days. And so, as you can see, nowhere in that passage does it say hate your enemy. But what the scribes and the Pharisees did over time is that they felt that they were the righteous judges of the Lord. And in explaining the law to the people, they would tell the people that 
you weren't supposed to, to do anything that was loving for the Moabites or the Ammonites. And they twisted these words of the Lord. The reason why it's, it says clearly what, what the Lord says to the people, that when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, the Ammonites, after the Israelites had defeated the Amorites, I believe, the Ammonites were asked by the people of Israel if they could just go straight through. They would not turn to the right or to the left. They would stay on a straight path, and they just wanted to go through Ammon. And they wouldn't let them. And so the Lord delivered the Ammonites into their hands. Well, the Moabites, after hearing about how the Israelites had conquered the previous nations, they were scared. And they called this, this prophet Balaam and asked the prophet to curse Israel. The thing about Ammon and Moab is that if you know the story, they're distant relatives of the descendants of the people of Israel. If you know the story of Abraham and Lot and how Lot, when he left Sodom and Gomorrah, there was nobody left or so the daughters thought. And so they committed a sinful act and there the, the children of Ammon and Moab came. But as you can see, there is the thought of you're supposed to love your neighbor, but the idea of hating your enemy is not there. Turning to going back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. And the thing about the scribes and the Pharisees is that they took the Old Testament scripture and many times they took it out of context and they misinterpreted it. And here, because of that, the Lord Jesus has to step in and make a correction, if you will. In verse 44, it says, But I say to you, and this is a complete opposite of what was being told to the Jews at that time. Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Think about that statement. If I, if I went to the Arab countries right now, and we know what's going on over there, there's a lot of persecution, and a lot of people are being martyred for the name of Jesus Christ. And if I went over there right now, and those that were, are being persecuted and martyred by ISIS, if I, if I went and asked them, you know, you, I know that these people murdered your family. I know that you are being hurt for the name of Christ by these people. But it says in the word of God that you're supposed to love your enemies. How hard would that be? And just thinking about those people and praying for those, those brothers and sisters and saints around the world, it's, it's, we can't understand it. We can't fathom what they're going through. But here the Lord asks us to love our enemies. And not only to love them, but to pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. And I couldn't think 
of a greater example than our Lord Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. And if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. It says this, but Jesus was saying, this is Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Here the Lord is demonstrating to the world, and as we read here today, to us, what it means to love your enemies to the most extreme extent. He wasn't just being persecuted. This was his death. And even at this point, he was willing to say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The Gospel of Luke is depicting Jesus as the Son of Man. Luke is a physician, and he's writing to uh, a man named Theophilus, and also in general to the Gentiles. And it's interesting that as I was reading through all the different accounts of the Lord and him at, and the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, it's funny because Luke is the only one who mentions this, this statement of Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And I thought that was interesting. Because Luke, depicting Jesus as a man, is asking the Father to forgive them. And Luke, he was a physician. He was a doctor. And his thing, as doctors go, is to help the sick, the needy, those that have a disease and I'm sure he saw people being healed but here he's writing about the Lord Jesus Christ and the healing the spiritual healing that would be brought about by the, by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and him with this statement saying Father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing it reminded me of Mark chapter 2. When in Mark chapter 2, four men of faith lowers a paralytic through a roof into a crowded room where Jesus is speaking. And as he's lowered down, he says to this paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and scribes, their reasoning in their hearts says in Mark chapter 2. And they're, they're thinking in their minds, he's, Jesus, this Jesus is blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. How can he say this? And Jesus, of course, knowing full well what's, what's going on in their minds, he tells them, 
And I'll just read it from Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. The reason why he he phrases these two questions like this, your sins are forgiven, is when, when, when Jesus said your sins are forgiven, you can't really see physically sins being forgiven. But when Jesus said to this man, pick up your mat and walk, everyone go home, everyone can see something just happened right here. And it was evidence for the fact that Jesus could forgive sins. Going back to Matthew chapter 5. The greatest demonstration of loving our enemies was Jesus. In verse 45, it continues on, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I was wondering, the way that it's worded, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, It says, so that you may be sons of your father. And I was wondering and thinking, you know, those of us who have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, he is our father. We are his sons and daughters. We are his children. So why does it say, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven? And as I thought about it more and more, it's, it's, not, it's not talking about salvation. It's not talking about all of a sudden becoming a child of God, a child of your Father who is in heaven. It's talking about showing forth the character of the Father that we see in His Son, Jesus Christ, here on this earth, even in the most extreme circumstances. And we see that example in Christ. And we're supposed to show that love to our enemies. And I think in our daily lives, you know, it's hard to really pick out our enemies. You know, we don't have people coming to our house, putting a gun to our head in the name of Christ. We don't have people maybe throwing rocks at our windows or vandalizing our property because of the name of Christ. But... Here in America, each of us are going through some, something. Someone may be getting on your nerve. Someone may be out to hurt you, maybe at work, maybe at school. And when those circumstances and situations come up, how do you react? Is it in anger? Is it in bitterness? Are you t- seeking to get revenge on those people that are trying to, to maybe taint your testimony, to hurt you, maybe physically? What, well, what's your reaction to these things? Because here, clearly, 
in Scripture, it says to love your enemies. And it's easy to love those people around you. And he goes on to say, and if you, could, if you would imagine, for in verse 45, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That being an example for what he's about to say is that, you know, everyone sees the sun. The rain comes down. Everyone gets hit by the drops of rain. But in verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? It's so easy to love our family members who care for us. Parents, and today being Father's Day, fathers working hard, making money, caring for their children, doing their best to be an example of the Heavenly Father. Loving, though, loving our, our parents who have, have cared for us, loving our friends who give us, give us gifts at Christmas time, on our birthdays, and just, you know, people in general who you can think of who show you love. It's so easy to love those people, to respond in love. And continuing on in verse 46, do not even the tax collectors do the same? I thought that was a funny statement coming from Matthew, the tax collector. And I wonder when he was being inspired by God, maybe he was thinking, really, Lord? Like, you really want me to put this in there? Or, I mean, okay, all right. <laughs> and the thing is, even tax collectors at that time, I mean, they would be willing to show a little respect, a little love to those people who would maybe hand them a small bribe or two here and there. And then verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? I was thinking about this greeting only your brothers and how it says at the end of verse 47, do not even the Gentiles do the same. And ever since I started working for the post office, I walk into the office and at every post office that I've worked at, there's been about 60 to 80 coworkers. So when you walk in, and I work, walk in fairly early in the morning, so when everybody else walks in, you, you, you tend to say, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, hello, how you doing, good morning, what's up, and you just kind of like go in between those greetings. And, you know, sometimes someone will say, how you doing? And you're wondering, am I supposed to respond to how are you doing? Or do I just say, how are you doing? Or, you know, just the greetings are, it's kind of confusing with so many people at work. But the idea is that even Gentiles, they know how to give a greeting. You know, we're, they know how to give a warm greeting. They're, we're no different than them. And what sets us apart as believers? What sets us apart as children of God. That's what, that's what Jesus is trying to point out here. Everyone sees the sun. Everyone gets hit by the droplets of rain. But what sets you apart from all those other people, from the Gentiles, from, the, from those that are evil, from those that are unrighteous? What sets you apart?
he, he goes on to finish in verse 48 with why he said all these things. What was all this therefore? He says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa. <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect? I mean, there's no way. In, a, in one day, I make so many mistakes and I sin. How, how do you achieve perfection in this sinful world? How do we reach perfection like our Heavenly Father as it's, it's telling us to do in verse 48? Is, I, I mean, Jesus is asking us to become like our Heavenly Father, which is portrayed through Christ. It's not like we believe like the Mormons do and we become a God and we become perfect. That's not it. Then what is it? The word perfect here in the Greek is teleos. It means, I thought it was interesting that the lexicon would just say perfect. re-saying re, re the word. It says perfect and full-grown. And the definition, complete in all parts, full-grown, full of age, especially of the completeness of Christian character. And I was wondering, you no, know, that's, you know, that's talking about spiritual maturity. That's talking about growing in Christ, reading the word of God. You know, Logan being saved at the age of seven, he has a, an opportunity of a lifetime to learn the character of Christ, to grow and pray, to seek his will. And so do we all, all of us who are born again. We have an opportunity to learn of Christ, to figure out what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to love our enemies. I just wanted to end with a quote from the late William McDonald. And he said about this passage, perfection is spiritual maturity, which enables a Christian to imitate God in dispensing blessing to everybody without partiality. Let me read that one more time. Perfection is spiritual maturity which enables a Christian to imitate God in in dispensing blessing to everybody without partiality. As we go throughout this week, I challenge all of you. We all have our own mountains. We all have our own forms of enemies in this life. And I ask you to maybe contemplate how can you show these people love? How can you show them the character of Christ in you? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect.
Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We th thank you that as we read your word, you show us clearly the truth, the truth of your word. Father, you are a righteous, holy God. And because of that, one day, you, you will have to judge all the people. But until then, we ask that as we try to become like our Heavenly Father in loving our enemies, which is a task that seems impossible. How are we supposed to love our enemies? How are those people that are being persecuted and martyred, how do you love your enemies in that context? Father, I pray for the persecuted church around the world, those that are being martyred and the family who are seeing all of this occur. We ask that they would have perseverance to endure. That in all of this, they would see your will be done. And they would have a supernatural joy that can only come through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask for a blessing on the rest of this evening. And as we go forward, help us to understand what it means to love our enemies. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.